We hear the Easter story this morning from the Gospel according to St. Mark. I've printed it in your bulletin for you because I want you to notice what's going on in Mark's Easter story, especially that footnote that appears in the middle of chapter 16 in the Gospel of Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint his body. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But the young man said to the women, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. He's gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And so the women went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So surely Mark's Easter story is the one we need to hear this year, right? Mark's Easter is small, spare, quiet and modest. This is how the story ends. So the women went out from the tomb and fled for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The last word in Mark's Easter story is afraid. Listen to those hard, dense, vivid words in the conclusion to Mark's Easter story. Fled, seized, terror, amazement, saying nothing to anybody and most importantly, fear, the last word in Mark's gospel. The other day in a Bible study, Katie Lancaster said that we usually refer to the day before Easter as Silent Saturday. But then she said in Mark's gospel, Easter Sunday is almost silent too. Mark's Easter is very quiet. And so almost immediately, Mark's first readers tried to rectify this deficiency. The first scribes making copies of Mark's little Jesus novella for eventual inclusion into a new Christian book with three other Gospels and a few of Paul's letters. Monks scribbling away by candlelight in monastery libraries in the second century said to themselves, wait, what? What happened here? The young man in the tomb tells the women, he's not here, he's been raised, he's gone before you to Galilee, and there you'll see him. But we don't see him. We know he's not dead, but that's, not, that's all we know. We don't know what he looks like, what he's doing, or whom he's meeting with. What happened, the monks asked themselves. Are we missing a page? Did it get frayed off from the end of the scroll over time? Did Mark get a severe case of writer's block near the end of his little story and throw it into a drawer somewhere intending to finish it, but he never got around to it? Did Mark have a heart attack mid-sentence, expiring with an unfinished gospel? Did Roman soldiers tap Mark on the 
shoulder while he was scratching away at his lean little Jesus biography. Cuff him, read him his rights, perp walk him to the county lockup. This is so wrong, they say to themselves. And so those second century stenographers fixed Mark's mistake or filled in Mark's omission with their own more fitting endings. One Scrivener added a short ending and another Scrivener added a longer ending, but both of those endings are spurious and late. It wasn't Mark who wrote them. And even the other three evangelists were not happy with Mark's ending. Mark, of course, is our first earliest gospel, probably from around 65 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark's gospel open on their desks while they were writing their own gospels. John may have known Mark too, but they all made huge changes. And so in Matthew, on that first Easter, there's an earthquake so terrifying that the soldiers guarding the tomb faint away like dead men. And then Jesus shows up and greets his friends. And then he blasts off into the wild blue yonder like a rocket ship to return to heaven. In Luke, Jesus walks the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus with two of his fans in the flesh. He was there. He spent the whole day with two of his friends whose names we know. In John, Jesus passes through solid locked doors like Patrick Swayze and Ghost and holds a little confab with his friends and then another one with Thomas who'd missed the first meaning. Touch my scars, Thomas. See and believe. And then Jesus has breakfast on the beach with Simon Peter who gets another chance. I'm not saying all of this didn't happen. I'm just saying that our earliest record of the resurrection chooses not to tell us about it. And so in the other three Gospels, there is an absence, the empty grave, and a presence, the risen Christ. In Mark, there is only absence and near silence. And for that very reason, it's the right Gospel for us to hear this year. Because it's quiet and modest. It is very quiet and very empty here in the sanctuary. There's just the five of us, six of us actually with John, Joel, Katie, Joe, Susan, and I. We're missing the choir, though thanks to Alyssa and Lisa and our splendid section leaders, we're not lacking the music. We're missing that beloved brass ensemble we hear from every Easter. It's empty and silent in here. You're all hunkered down in your safe Spaces with those you love. Probably going to be a more muted Easter dinner this afternoon too, right? You won't be at the club. And so maybe Mar Mark's hard, dense, sharp words make sense to us 2,000 years later. Flee, seize, terror, amazement, fear. We don't know what to say, so we say nothing to anyone. We experience the, the absence of the empty tomb, but maybe the presence of the risen Christ is a little more elusive this year. But we don't have nothing. We still will have Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because He is risen, neither virus nor death will have the last word in God's stunning world. I love Jürgen Moltmann's poem that I printed in the bulletin for, for you. Jürgen Moltmann, 
probably the world's most brilliant living theologian. Whoever makes a person laugh opens heaven to him. Anyone who is patient with another gives him a future. Anyone who accepts another as he himself is accepted in Christ loosens his tongue for life's hymn of praise. So let us cross frontiers so that we may infect life with hope. And so notice Dr. Moltmann's central metaphor in his little poem. What Dr. Moltmann wants to say is that virus is not the only contagious thing in our world. Hope is contagious. Resurrection is viral. Anyone who makes us laugh, anyone who performs a gratuitous, unasked-for kindness, anyone who shows us an undeserved forgiveness, anyone who risks her lungs to care for the sick, these are agents of resurrection, and they are infecting the world with hope and making resurrection viral. Those women who showed up at Jesus' grave that first Easter were surrounded by death. So many crucifixions. They were standing in a morgue, literally and figuratively. We are surrounded by so much death, 100,000 deaths worldwide, a fifth of them in the United States. But there are so many people working against death, standing up to death and illness trying to activate tiny resurrections in a funereal world. A woman told this story somewhere. Hi, my name is Katie Ward. I've been married to my husband, Chris Ward, for 50 years. For the last 20 years, he's been suffering from Alzheimer's disease. It's been getting progressively worse. For the last four years, he's been in a memory care unit. He hasn't known me for a long time. I go to visit him twice a day. That was the way it was until this coronavirus thing came along. Now, she says, now I go to visit him twice a day. And I stand outside his window in the rain, in the snow, and the fog. And I wave my arms, trying to catch his eye, trying to catch his attention. He has not known me for a long time, but I love this man so much. Twice a day, every day, he does not even know who she is. There's a home for the disabled on Long Island. The residents have cerebral palsy, brain injury, severe autism. 37 of the 46 residents have the virus. The employees who care for them are still showing up every day. They make minimum wage. The director of the center put up huge signs, three huge signs outside the center. Heroes work here. Yes? A flight attendant from Colorado Springs says, the public just sees us as dumb flight attendants, but we're not there to serve you cokes. We get the same training as policemen and firefighters and nurses. We were the first to die on 9-11. We know how to evacuate a plane in 90 seconds. We do CPR, we fight fires, we watch out for sex trafficking. And she says that most of the flight attendants 
in the class she trained with at the beginning of her, her airline career are taking leaves of absence. But she says, I love my job. This is what I signed up for. I'm going to fly till the wheels come off. A pharmacist in Poughkeepsie says, my biggest concern is that I'm 68 years old and I have a heart condition. But you know, I took an oath when I became a pharmacist to provide service at any cost. So that's what I'm going to do. At a veterinary practice in Boston, no humans are allowed inside the clinic. So animal owners drive to the parking lot, phone up the clinic to let them know they're there in the parking lot. A vet tech comes out to retrieve the animal. The people wait in the car, and when the treatment's over, the vet tech returns the animal to the car outside. But there's a single exception. If you are there to euthanize your pet, there's a room with a separate entrance. They turned it into the goodbye room. Only the veterinarian will be in there with you, no other staff. Brian the vet says, we feel that saying goodbye is too important. Whoever makes us laugh, whoever shows us an unmerited kindness, whoever shows us great grace even when we don't deserve it, whoever stays at their post no matter what, whoever lets us bid farewell to our beloved animals, these are agents of resurrection and they are infecting the world with hope and triggering tiny, viral, contagious resurrections everywhere. This is our Pearl Harbor. This is our 9-11. This is our Great Depression. Perhaps the world feels a little funereal just now, but in the midst of death, we are in life. Do we not hear intimations of immortality, hints, guesses, gestures at re resurrection? Have we ever been left alone? Is he not out there in the ether somewhere, as distant as the stars and as near as the air? Is he not risen this week's gleaming, glowing, glistering full moon? Soon the cherry trees will shower our shoulders with a confetti of pink blossoms. The gathering green of the forests, the fragrant, fecund loam of the earth, a child's laughter, a lover's touch, a friend's loyalty, a colleague's helping hand, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.